0: I'm going to talk about prayer. You'll be unsurprised to hear given our focus on prayer. Our series so far on these unforced rhythms of grace has focused on uh, an introduction. So what are we really talking about? And we talked about the passage in Matthew where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are tired and burned out. And I will give you rest. That's his offer. And how do we enter that rest? It's through these, as Peterson puts it, unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, walk with me, learn with me, those unforced rhythms of grace. And so we want to use that as our, if you like, our paradigm, our idea of what it is for us to walk with Jesus To be disciples, to be followers of Jesus and to do that in a way that brings rest and not anxiety, that brings peace and not striving. And so we're going to try and figure out what these unforced rhythms of grace are and so we've said that we think there are three movements to this whole exercise of being a disciple the first is being with Jesus that's what we're talking about being alongside him walking uh, with him the second is becoming like Jesus so we become like him his followers as they followed him became like him and they also the third one they did what Jesus did doing the things that he does and so over the course of The next, I keep extending this I think I started off at 12 months I suspect it's going to take us 18 months that's going to be our key sort of thing that we're looking at and as a church I feel completely compelled that we're supposed to spend this time thinking about what is it to be a disciple how do we become the kinds of followers of Jesus that are attractive to others, that are a blessing to the world and that are doing miraculous works in all sorts of places wouldn't that be a good thing to be? Well, somebody thinks it's, one of us do. Um, and so we looked at silence and solitude, the opportunity to sit in quiet. We said the importance of that in the midst of the busyness and noise of our world is critical and vital. Then we looked at the opposite of solitude. We looked at community. And we reflected on how actually solitude is only really healthy if it's balanced with community. And how community also needs solitude the Dietrich Bonhoeffer idea was what we were talking about there and then last week we reflected on what is it to be a Christian community how do we do that so we did two weeks on community which wasn't planned originally which means my preaching schedule's out the window but that's okay because I think it was important last week we talked about some of the standard practices that we need to embrace if we're going to be the kinds of community that sees uh, us live in this way of unforced rhythms of grace. And so today we come to one of the obvious patterns. Uh, there's no way you can read the Bible for any length of time, or particularly read the life of Jesus, and not see that prayer was absolutely critical for him. We saw it when it was the, when we looked at silence and solitude, but nearly every time Jesus either had a big decision to make or when immediately after a significant event, he disappeared. He went away, He went up a mountain, they came looking for him. He wasn't there early in the morning and he was away to prayer. It was right at the very heart of Jesus' ministry and so it seems to me that if we are going to have a life that is patterned after Jesus, it's going to require prayer to be at the very centre of our lives as well. Now, there's many, many, many things I could say about prayer and we could be here a very long time. In fact, we could spend the next 18 months just looking at prayer and I reflected that I've been here a year and I think this is the third time I've done a sermon which is predominantly about prayer so some of you are about to go oh here we go again but I genuinely believe there is nothing more important that we can learn I've said this before but there's a pastor a guy Brian Zond that I was really struck by his book a few years ago uh, it's called uh, water to wine I suspect it's one of the ones that's uh, oh no it's in my office right now um But he, he says one of the worst things pastors have ever done is tell people to pray and never taught them how to and I read that and I was just stopped in my tracks I was like that's absolutely right and I was listening to another guy talk this week a guy called John Tyson uh, from New York if you're ever listening for a good podcast he he's he's a really good preacher I've been felt a real blessing listening to his stuff recently but he he was saying that prayer does a lot of things and he, he had four categories but just one of them is that prayer talking about it just creates anxiety in so many of us because prayer has become performative it's become a thing that we think if we get the right words somehow then i might get the right outcome or or we we feel anxious because is god even listening and there's just this whole anxiety that build not not i don't mean mental health type anxiety just that low grade anxiety that kind of buzzes at the back of our heads and causes us To retreat from prayer. Other than the kind of emergency prayers that we throw up. Oh help, something's not right. Or oh my goodness me, what am I going to do about? But the anxiety of that performative nature of prayer has pushed us away from that. So I want to talk about the most famous, popular prayer that there ever was. Anybody want to guess what it is? The Lord's Prayer. Which is a daft name for it, right? I'm going to read it and then I'm going to ask someone to tell me why it's a daft name. Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not be like the hypocrites. Do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So there's a couple of things in there that should be anxiety reducing straight away. You don't need loads of words. You don't need loads of fancy words. You don't need to understand everything. You don't need to perform in front of others. Your Father knows what you need, even before you ask him. And then this is how you should pray, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one. Well, the next bit's not there. For if you forgive one other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Why should it not be called the Lord's Prayer, or why is the Lord's Prayer a bit of a daft? Yeah. It's the disciples' prayer. It's our prayer. Jesus has lots of prayers. But this one he gives to us. His disciples are saying we don't really know how to pray. And he's saying well stop that babbling nonsense. Don't copy them. And don't be loud and to be seen. Don't be like them. Use these words. Nice simple ones. And what I want. I'm, just going, to, I'm going to point out seven things that I think I see in there. That are helpful for us as practices uh, of prayer. But I want to say this beforehand, prayer is more of an art than a science. Prayer is not, let's line up all the little building blocks, we can build a nice tall tower and now it's fixed and God will do exactly what, we said, what we've asked because we use the right words in the right order at the right time spoken by the right person. That's not prayer at all. That's a science. That's a if I do A, B, and C, I know I'll get D. That's not prayer. I would suggest that's pretty close to witchcraft, but that's maybe a different sermon. When like we're trying to get God to do something we want by doing our thing, like who do we think we are? But actually, prayer is more art. It's creative. It's listening. It's embodied. It's thoughtful, it is emergency. It comes from deep down inside. All sorts of things. And Jesus gives us this simple prayer that I think can help us with a whole bunch of this. So the first thing, once you turn this on. Prayer is first relational in Jesus' prayer in two ways. First of all, he says, Our Father. Our Father. Something corporate about prayer. As much as Jesus has just taught them to go in the quiet place and not be performing in front of others. He says this is our Father. Well that only makes sense if you're praying in a context of other people. So we do see that prayer is a relational thing at the human level. Okay? We do this together. Please do it also on your own. Okay? this is back to that silence and solitude movement that we were ta- uh, sorry so- solitude and community movement we were talking about over the last few weeks yes pray on your own but definitely pray with others but it's also more profoundly relational in another dimension we don't begin going to a god who's far off and distant and unknown and uninterested We don't have to perform a series of steps to suddenly get God to turn his ear towards us. We don't need particular accoutrements of prayer. We don't need a prayer rug. We don't need to point in a particular direction. Though some of these embodiment things can be helpful for us at times. But we recognize we come to our Father. uh, What a beautiful gift Jesus gives us here. His father is now our father. It's to him that we pray. Not a distant, angry, far off God, but a father who loves to give good gifts to his children, the scriptures tell us. One that we can come to with confidence, without fear. And I want to recognize that even in a group this size, there will be people here who have really bad Uh, experiences of their fathers and so even me talking like this is problematic because you're like oh I can't I want to say to you with all the grace I can muster I am sorry that's your experience of fatherhood but I want to tell you there is a God who has chosen to reveal himself as a father and as the perfect father and so in every way you've been let down God will not let you down in every way you've been hurt God wishes to heal He wants to restore and redeem something of what it would be for him to be your father. But it does mean that our beginning of prayer is relational. We come to one who has made himself known to us. Who has named himself to us and who welcomes us to. We're getting rid of some of that performance anxiety. I love having the kids in the service. We have these moments of silence and there's babbling with the children. It's great. It's great. Because they, they, they have a different set of worries. They have a different set of concerns, like when am I getting fed next? That's probably about it. I want that toy. That might be the kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's maybe the top for for a small child. There's an abandonment that comes from recognizing you're a child in a safe space. They don't need to perform for anyone. We don't need to perform when we come in prayer. Just come to God as you are in a relational way. The second, so relationship—that's the the core, the beginning. I, I want to say, if that's all you ever embrace about a practice of prayer, I think you'll do pretty well in your prayer life. Simple as that. But Jesus moves on and he says, "Hallowed be your name." Or holy is the name of God. So he's beginning to identify who God is. This is a moment of worship. God, you are holy. It's what we've been singing about. It's, it's a posture that says, God, we recognize you are other than us. You are big. You are massive. The, in the context, look, I mean, look at that. He made it. It's stunning. It's beautiful. Can I, how beautiful must the one who made something so beautiful be? It calls worship out of us. I I find creation calls worship out of me anyway. And given I get to choose the images, that's why you're getting those ones. But whatever it is that calls worship out of you, holy is God's name. It's to be hallowed. We're to be worshipful towards God. So find spaces, whatever it is that calls worship out of you, you will find yourself in prayer in that place, intentionally or otherwise. I have a friend who's uh, an avowed atheist. He's a wonderful man. He's just wrong. Um, uh, and he loves a good argument. And I, I, Forgive me if I may have told this story before, but he, he is a climber, like a proper, like, climbing up stupid things at very silly heights. And he goes all the way to the top of crazy mountains. And he always comes home with these incredible photographs of... He went right up to the very top of Norway last year and he came fo- home with photographs that, and the one sense only had two colours in them. It had blue and white and that was it. But there was something astonishingly beautiful about everything that was there even although it was only in two colours. And I keep saying to him, I said, James, you've got a problem. You get to the top of these mountains, you put all that effort in, you climb to the top and then what? You come back down again. You just go, oh well, look at all this that happened by happy accident i can go up there and worship because i know the one who made it because it's beautiful and it has no purpose to be beautiful it could be ugly wouldn't make any difference but my god is so creative and so wonderful that he decided that he would make things beautiful just cause amazing so worship confrontation. This is another part of prayer. Most of us don't live in this space all the time and we probably try to avoid it most of the time but here's the thing Jesus says your kingdom come there are two kingdoms. There is a clash of kingdoms. Uh, the, the, the book of Revelation uses a word a Greek word flips a place uh, where two kingdoms collide it's like two tectonic plates And what happens is with tectonic plates, he says, well out of his knowledge base uh, here. But tectonic plates go like this and they push against one another. And they can do one of three things. They can, can slide like this and we get earthquakes. They can pull apart and we get earthquakes. They can pop up and we get volcanoes and all sorts of other exciting things happening. Incredibly destructive, incredibly powerful. And they come from two competing forces. The book of Revelation says we live in the middle of those two competing forces. We're at the front line of the kingdom of heaven as it clashes against the kingdom of darkness. Our prayer matters in that context. We exist in a, a spiritual battle whether we recognize it or not. We must pray about these things. Where we see injustice, Sam beautifully this morning. Brought to mind those 39 uh, 39 people who have died in just the most horrific fashion I can imagine. Uh, Horrendous. There's an injustice behind that that we should be angry about and willing to call wicked and stand in prayer against. On our own doorstep here in Scotland. We have horrific rates of drug deaths. That's an injustice and an evil that we should stand against. Not against the people who are caught up in drug addiction. For them we must have nothing but compassion. But I tell you I've heard some stories this week. I had the chance to sit with a guy. Who lives and works and pastors in Nidri, And they have seen. Uh, ...a significant number of drug deaths... ...in their community this year... ...and he was saying one of the problems is... ...that every time they get someone off... ...someone starts to get clean... ...the first person to knock on the door... ...is their old drug dealer... ...offering them free drugs... ...just to get them back on... ...and they end up dead... ...because they've been clean for a while... ...and they go straight back to using... ...the same amount of drugs they were using before... ...it's evil been done by humans in that context but there's something behind it there are principalities and powers as Paul talks about and we need to stand against that in prayer now I was talking about lowering anxiety levels about prayer and I realized this could just crank it up to 10 right so forgive me for that but it's in the scriptures we exist in a spiritual battle there are forces of good and evil it is not a fair fight We are not fighting as if we're unsure of what's going to happen. I mean, this just looks like a melee. Who knows what's going on? Let me tell you, it's good news. Listen up. Jesus won. It's done. But there is a battle now. We must take confidence in the fact that the battle is won ultimately by Jesus. And it's in that that we stand. But we must pray in that context. I promised this was going to be a short sermon I'm not doing a great job of that right now then we get your will be done I tell you what a prayer because it ground me to a halt this week that line your will be done I've always read that immediately in the context of your kingdom come your will be done and I've I'd, for whatever reason, I bundled those two things together, thought of them as one idea, and that was kind of it. Right apart, that over there—that's about God's kingdom on earth, which is His will, and it will all be done. That's fine, and that's not an unreasonable way to think about it. Which is me very humbly saying I wasn't wrong. Uh, but on the other side of it, it sits as a separate idea. So as soon as I pray Your will be done, I got to stop because I'm saying. Not my will be done. Not my will be done. Not just in these grand big things that we're talking about in context of spiritual warfare, but actually just in my own life every day. What's my prayer? Your will be done, Lord. And if you just prayed that prayer, because sometimes I don't know about you, we talk about prayer and we end up going, what do we do with that? How do I? If you were just to pray through this week. Each time you think about, oh, I should pray, just pray, your will be done, Lord. And on with your day. doesn't need to be more complicated than that. But that prayer will radically alter your perspective on where and how you are living. Your will be done, Lord, not mine. Oh, I'd like to say more about that. We're going to move on. And then we get the provision one. Give us this day our daily bread. There aren't many of us in our church, our culture. Actually, let's just stick with our church first. Who don't have their daily bread. Who don't have enough to eat. But we do have needs. And they're real. And they're important. And here's what I want to say to you. They're important to God. They're so important to God that when, he, when Jesus thought, I'm going to come up with a perfect prayer for people to pray, he said, well, we must not forget their needs. They're important. They matter. So when you have needs to come to God with, you need to know that they are important to God. Okay? No anxiety about coming and saying to God, I need. I do think it's interesting. It's not the first thing that's there. I don't think we should go rushing to God with, Dear God, here's my list, see ya. And I know that I've prayed like that for all, many, many times. Many, many times where you're like, Right, got a list, let's get through it. Right, I'll leave that with you and I'm off. But actually, what if we embrace a different rhythm, a different unforced rhythm of grace that says, Actually, I'm just going to spend some time with God? And then, yes. I'll lay out my needs. And the funny thing is, if I've already submitted my will to his, my needs might look a bit different now. But we'll see. Confession. It's really hard to find an image for confession that isn't a completely Catholic image and therefore probably annoying people. So this is why we have this image. Confession. Confession. If we really desire to be with Jesus. If that's what we want to do. Then confession is a profoundly important part of that. A practice all on its own. Where we get to sit and say. Lord I am sorry. Forgive me. Begins there. Uh, Do you know what? In evangelical churches, we're pretty rubbish at this, to be honest. We don't have liturgies of confession. We don't use a confessional with a priest. There's good reasons for not using a confessional with a priest. But let me tell you very quickly one story. I, uh, when I was at um, Theology College, we had a, our preaching professor had been a Presbyterian pastor for... About 30 years. He'd been in Manila, he'd been in California, he'd been in Washington DC and then he had retired uh, to Vancouver to uh, teach other people about pastoring. He was a remarkable man and maybe the best preacher I've ever heard. And uh, he stood up one morning in our preaching classes which were awful, an awful lot like church rather than preaching classes so he would preach, we would listen and then he would say who needs prayer after that, was fun but he said, he'd been preaching on uh, forgiveness and he said I'm going to do something uh, here and he said I'm going to stand at the front at, not as a priest, not as something that's necessary in order to get God's forgiveness but as a symbol of God's forgiveness and I'd like you to come forward and confess your sin And I will speak words of absolution over you. Uh, And I'm sitting there as a good Scottish boy going, this is awfully Catholic for my liking. And I'd been living in Glasgow before I moved to uh, Vancouver. So I can promise you it felt very Catholic to a wee Scottish boy from Glasgow. Um, But given that everyone else was doing it, there's a certain herd mentality that makes you feel like, well I better go along with it. So I stumbled forward and I spoke my confession to Daryl. And he spoke the words of absolution over me. And it broke something in me. Because there is something incredibly beautiful about hearing someone proclaim what God is doing in real life. Where he says your sins are gone. You have been forgiven. And he had a whole liturgy that he was doing. And it was incredibly beautiful. So confession must be part of our, uh, of our prayer life. Again, if you just sat there with that for a while. Um, there's a Jesus prayer uh, um, that uh, can be used. Where uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple prayer. Just repeat it. As you walk through your day, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple confession can be really helpful. Final one, realignment. Uh, The prayer here in Matthew finishes with, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, we could go back to that confrontation part. But I think there's something really interesting here. you prayed through all this sort of stuff. You've been shaped in this sort of way. We've confessed. And now we're saying, don't let me go back to where I was. Don't lead me into temptation. Don't let me fall into that space. Actually, Lord, would you keep me in a good space? Would you keep me on the narrow path? It's difficult and challenging, and I promise you, you're going to fall off it. But the good news is, confession's available, and then we re center ourselves again on that path. Realigning ourselves, walking out what God has said in the midst of these times of prayer. It's a very quick seven things that we've talked about. As an unforced rhythm of prayer. I hope it reduces your anxiety a little. I want to finish with this quote. This is from Mother Teresa. She says this. Prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God. At his disposition. And listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. That should reduce all your anxiety about prayer. It's not asking. It's just putting ourselves in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depth of our hearts. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, thank you. For the privilege of calling you Father. Of being drawn into your presence. Thank you that we can worship. And declare that you are good and kind and loving and miraculous. We stand against some of the evils in our world. As a church we declare we want to see your kingdom come and wipe away the kingdom of darkness. And the evils of people trafficking and the evils of drug dealing. We pray that you would come and sweep them away by your Holy Spirit. Governments have plans but you have power Lord. Help us to submit our will to yours. To trust that you are able to meet our needs. Help us, Lord, to confess our sins to you. And to hear those words that we are forgiven. We are set free. We are released. And then, Lord, help us to walk all of that out as we walk with you through our week in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.